Hello, and welcome to ART Art Radio Trending, a public podcast that takes what's trending and generates a discussion based around art. We take current events and pop culture and discuss their relevance as they relate to art history. So sit back and enjoy. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our second episode of ART, Art Radio Trending. Today's a very special episode because we're going to be talking to our very first guest, Professor Jim Dacient. He's Dean of of the Arts and Humanities College down at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego. He's here to talk about his new book, a book on Kenny Scharf. Kenny Scharf was an artist down in uh, Los Angeles who... Right around his uh, high school year, he decided to go to New York and pursue a career out there. He was mentored by none other than Andy Warhol, and he worked alongside Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basqua as well. Um, he has since evolved uh, into a more contemporary uh, mainstream artist, but we'll talk about that a little bit with Professor Dyson, and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Thank you, Professor, for joining us on the show. Um, this is Professor Dacian. He's a, a dean at uh, Point Loma Nazarene University. He's an old professor of mine. He's a very knowledgeable individual. and He's a prominent figure in the street art movement that's going on these days. Um, so, Professor, you have a uh, – welcome to the show, first of all. Um, you have a new book coming out called Kenny Sharp's In Absence of Myth, where you document – Basically, the roller coaster life of uh, the prolific artist Kenny Scharf. Um, if you can, maybe you can introduce our listeners to Kenny Scharf and why he's important in street art and maybe in art history uh, in in a broad sense. Sure, I'd be glad to, Marvin. I'm really pleased to be talking with you, and it's an honor to join you for a conversation. And and I am. I'm really excited about this book on Kenny Scharf. He is somebody that is important for me historically and how I came to love the visual arts and why I dedicated my life to studying and teaching the arts uh, and a bit about how I see my identity as well in it. 
But uh, my first introduction to street art or what we know as street art, artwork outside in the public sphere that's illegal, that's up on, uh, it could be in, in alleys, it could be a sticker on a pole, but it's this artwork that is just meaningful. It's the stuff we see outside the museum or gallery that to me was just charged. It was charged politically. It was charged because of the energy behind it, but also the mystery of who's creating these things. That, uh, that was always something that was intriguing to me as someone who was interested in skateboarding and, and murals and things of that sort. So uh, when I was in high school, I first learned of Keith Haring, Jean-Michel Basquiat, and Kenny Scharf as these individuals that were part of the art world, but at the same time were embracing this world of graffiti and street art. And this term street art didn't exist at the time. It was only graffiti. But Kenny really represents this transition from the inside art world, the high art world, the professional art world, and the adapting and co-opting and utilizing a lot of the aspects of what we traditionally call graffiti. And he did so by bringing some of this knowledge of the art world outside and some of the knowledge of the graffiti world inside. So he's really on the cusp of what became a term called street art. And what I love about Kenny Sharp's story is he's actually lived out his story, where in the case of his two close colleagues, Keith Herring and Jean-Michel Basquiat, both passed away at a very early age because of drugs and AIDS. And, mm-hmm. and with Kenny... Kenny saw the movement grow, he saw it go away, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. he saw it resurface again. And it's, it was an honor to work alongside him, hear his stories, hear the struggles, hear the personal narratives that go into his artwork, and then where he is today as a, a successful blue chip artist working today uh, and, mm-hmm. still, um, prov- and still with a, a very bright career ahead and a very exciting one in the contemporary art world. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned uh, Shepard Ferry, and I know you wrote a book uh, based on Shepard Ferry where you featured a lot of uh, a lot of his art and some of his his uh, role as he transitioned out of the street and into a more, um, I guess, commercial aspect of, of art in general. Um, now, Shepard Ferry, as a lot of the listeners might know, he's got a very, um, um, I guess to use a, a, a term, maybe aggressive, approach or uh, or political even approach at art. Now, Kim Sharp is, I would say, completely on the opposite end of that spectrum. I mean, he's influenced a lot by cartoons, um, 80s cartoons, I believe. And and, and now, how, how would you say that has either affected or benefited Kenny Sharp in his longevity uh, compared to, say, someone like uh, maybe Banksy or, or Shepard Ferry? Yeah, sure. Well, it's it's interesting with the Banksy and Shepard Ferry, perhaps two of the most well-known and influential artists working today. And you notice I didn't say uh, I didn't evaluate them in sort of any kind of quality. There, they're they're influential in terms of their subject matter, the the messages they deal with. They just appeal to a lot of people. They're very populist-driven, uh, and Shepard's work is can often be confused with graphic design and advertising, and he uses that language very well. And it's one of the reasons it's so popular, but at the same time doesn't have that individuality to it, that unique aspect that sometimes you don't see the artist's hand within. 
So Kenny differs in so many different, so many ways. Uh, but you're right. The the cartoon influence uh, is something that was influ- you know, was a, a big part of sort of the input that he was taking for years, and and uh, most notably it was the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Uh, and there were other cartoons as well, but he was raised on the TV. He considers himself part of the TV generation, uh, you know, the AD, the ADHD sort of <laughs> characteristic that goes with, you know, having short attention spans because I'm used to being entertained like that. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, Kenny wanted to reproduce these worlds. Uh, they were interesting to him. One, because the Flintstones were this prehistoric family that didn't have any sort of modern conveniences, but they were able to juxtapose these things like uh, a dinosaur on a cart and then that cuts your grass. And it just works. You know, the shell is a phone. Where the the Jetsons were just the opposite. They had everything you could imagine with technology, but it always seemed to go wrong. You know, they had the the robot made, but she broke down. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. then that would result in all kinds of a mess. So with technology, there were problems. Without technology, it seemed to almost work better. So this idea of um, the future and looking out into the future, a future that maybe perhaps was never realized, is something that's part of Kenny's narrative. And when he was growing up, they, they worried about the end of the world. You know, the, someone's gonna, who's going to drop the big bomb on us? And so a lot of his work deals with this sort of this fear, but the world's going to end. We're still going to have fun, cartoons, and this sort of fancy-free sort of perspective on things. Well, in his narrative, the world does end, and then you get these mutant cartoons. And this Mm -hmm. is where probably the most noticeable aspect of Kenny Sharp's work is that you have these blobs-like figures and these – that almost seemed to melt down the side of a wall or a canvas. And you see aspects of the Jetsons, the Simpsons, and Felix the Cat. Uh, but again, they're totally original, and they're like nothing you've seen before. And so that's part of Kenny's narrative. It's this ongoing thing that reaches back to something we're very familiar with, but then has been completely transformed into something new. And that's not to say that's all his work is about. But that's one of the narratives where he's really creating something unique, something that didn't exist before, and has become distinctly Kenny Sharp. And, that, and I think that's one of the aspects that separates him from these other artists. It's allowed him to have that longevity. It also allows us to recognize the Kenny Sharp without seeing the same thing over and over, because we, we get some of the, the, the touchstones for, of his work in, in, that, in that narrative. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Now, I have a, now going back to maybe just uh, touch a little bit on exactly how you, as a academic and as a professor, how you view street art. Um, I believe in your book, um, Stay Up Los Angeles, you, you, you sort of document what your opinion is of the evolution of street art. And so maybe if you can, uh, you know, from where it goes from tagging to, to a more developed form of, of art, maybe a more visual type of art. So maybe if you can... Uh, enlighten our listeners and maybe talk about that and, to, and maybe you can uh, describe where Kenny, Kenny Sharp, Kenny Sharp uh, fits into that, whether he's a whole new uh, ring or if he is kind of the, the apex of, of, of that definition of, of street art evolution. 
Sure, I'd be glad to. And, this, and the, the whole, you know, determining the difference between street art and graffiti was important for me because I'm, I wasn't an insider. I'm not mm-hmm. an artist. I'm not a graffiti artist or street artist, and I don't identify myself that way, never will. And I always sought the advice and input of other artists. And it was only mm-hmm. through, you know, 100-plus interviews with artists that, you know, of varying identities that these categories emerged. And essentially, I, I lay it out as a Venn diagram. You know, that there are different types of graffiti, and eventually you get to something called street art. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they're very porous sort of borders between these. But on the far left, we'd have something just called graffiti writing. And this is, the, this is really the basics. Uh, sometimes it's been called mere graffiti, which is just writing letters. It's writing letters outside, and it's illegal. So this is the tagging. This is the type of stuff that we see in cities. This is the type of stuff that kids do, uh, uh, type, the stuff that adults do. It's sort of the earliest form of graffiti, that uh, modern graffiti that sort of emerged. And it's, it's about being famous. It's about being known. It's about recognizability. It's about doing it as many times as possible to show how many different places you've been. Um, it's the type of graffiti that cities really detest because it costs a lot to clean up. Um, and, but at the same time, it can be done so quickly. I mean, it's a second, and you, and you can put a really wonderful tag, but you can also put some really terrible tags down, too. So there's that range. So quality isn't necessarily what I'm talking about. It's just letters written. Mm-hmm. Uh, graduating from that, we have something called artistic graffiti writing. And this is when you add all the elements and principles of design to a tag where it becomes uh, they're bubble letters. Uh, they're blocked out. There's layers to them. And you can this this type of graffiti takes a lot more time and talent and technique in order to do, um, and so it's not something you can do very quickly. But often, you know, it's something that it still holds a, a very prized role. I mean, it, it displays a, an amazing gift to paint. Uh, we're still using spray paint, and we're still using letters. And oftentimes, letters are very difficult to read. So the a wild style would be a really uh, good example of that, some uh, style of graffiti that emerged uh, in New York City. And then after that, we'd have something called artistic graffiti. Basically, we're dropping the writing off of that. And we're still using spray paint cans, but if there's any letters, they're subservient to the visual image. So the visual image, the cartoon character, the portrait of a person is the feature. Letters is a signing of a name or some sort of letters that complement what's happening there. So this is where we're starting to move out of graffiti and more into something we'd call street art, but we're not quite there yet because we're still using the tools of graffiti. This is where Kenny Sharp would be. Kenny Sharp mm-hmm. was doing, uh, he was basically doing tags of, uh, of cartoon characters in the late 70s and early 80s, and it was the Jetsons and it was the Flintstones and, it was these, and some of his own characters, but he was still using the aspects of graffiti. So this has this ushers into something we would call street art. Street art again takes advantage of it being outside, of it being illegal, but then you add all the media that we associate with the professional art world, whether it be light, yarn, um, the the different you know what could be chalk, uh, a wheat paste, stencils. That's where we open up into something very different that we'd call street art. We, we move away from the traditional graffiti materials. 
we're still using a lot of the same tenants and we get into something called street art has a new definition, a new way of, of um, uh, looking at this art form. The question then becomes after that is like, well, then what's a mural or what's public art? Well, that's where street art becomes public art or a mural or the professional art world. Uh, if you're going to add another category, we'd say, well, that's just, that's just public art. Mm-hmm. And the difference between street art is street art's illegal. Public art is legal. So when people say they're a muralist, basically they're saying, I'm doing away with the illegality, and now it's just public art. And, and that's sort of a, and that's why those borders are there in between each one of those. And folks have moved from graffiti writers all the way up to muralists now. And it, it sort of recontextualizes who they are and what they do. But it doesn't mean the same person couldn't practice all those things uh, yeah, that's, at that's, different points during, different points yeah, during the day. So, yeah, that's interesting because that's exactly what I did my thesis on was on public art and, it, and murals and, and, and how society sort of views that and some of the politics behind that. But there was a route to street art, so it definitely – you see how you end up and you evolve into into public art from, you know, the 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 early early tagging. So that's great. So now just one more question. Um, I don't know. You may remember uh, when we first spoke about three or four years ago, we talked about street art and whether it was just the the most recent social media type of trend, uh, which is fitting for this podcast, which is uh, art radio, art history, art radio trending, uh, or if it was a, a real art movement with sufficient impact. Um, you also talked about this in your book. You, you mentioned it a little bit in your book, uh, Stay Up Los Angeles. Yeah, and you sort of say that you feel that street art was important and would eventually be a movement uh, that was recognized in art history for its significance. Four years later now, do you still feel the same way, or has it changed? Has your view changed um, uh, on, on street art and, and its role in art history? I still am very committed that it is a movement, and it seems with every month that we get – it's hard to judge anything at, at the moment, and I realize mm-hmm. that's a limitation. But what, I seen, what I'm seeing around me, uh, historians, scholars, academics, museums, independent professionals, treating street art as a movement and the amount of reflection and attention that's going into it by folks treating it in a, as a very serious thing, I'm encouraged. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot more writing happening about it, which seems to me to be moving it in that direction that, wow, well, this is really going to be codified somehow in art history books. And, and there's little bits of evidence already, right? We already see Keith Herring, Kenny, and Jean-Michel in the history books is sort of that early examples of graffiti, even though that's not necessarily an accurate description. But intro to art history books or intro to art appreciation, seeing Shepard Fairey's images pop up in there. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 there's the, begin, the signs of it are there. Plus, even those who are outside sort of um, studying this area as a significant movement, are still making – they're making reference to it as one. So, again, that also encourages me that, yeah, it's definitely going to be a movement. Where it uh, ends uh, will be up for debate and probably always will be. Um, and whether it's something that we'll, we'll see an end to or if we haven't seen the end to it, I think we're just a bit too close to it. But, uh, yeah, I do. I think it's, 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 it's something that is impacting um, sort of the, the more general – 
crowd and art appreciation folks, and it's changing the way we engage art, and I think a very good way for the art world. So overall, I love what it's doing, and I still view it very much as a movement. Perfect. Thank you, Professor. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and I encourage everyone to go out and get your new book. Um, where, where could we get it, and if, uh, if anyone wanted to get to reach you, uh, do you have a Facebook or any contact information that you'd like to get out there? Absolutely. Well, it's very easy to get the book. For one, uh, Kenny Sharp, you just type that Amazon, Kenny Sharp and Myth, it'll pop right up. It'll also be, uh, you can find it at Barnes & Noble and your local bookstore or your museum bookstore most likely is going to carry it as well. But it's uh, it'll be pretty widely distributed, so it's a, it's a very bright cover. So uh, if folks want to get in touch with me, I have a, a website. It's called artistteacher.com, artist-teacher.com. And then I also have a Facebook site under Jim Dacian. Always glad to chat with folks, and it's pretty easy to get in contact with me, so I appreciate it. And thank you, Marvin, so much for the time. I very much appreciate talking to you. All right. Thank you, Professor.